Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 1 now. We're in lesson 3. We're going to see that there are some issues with this church, and we're going to start right off with the biggest issue, and the fact is, is they couldn't get along with each other. So we're going to look at uh, verses 10 through 17 today, and we're going to see that the apostle starts right off the bat after he gives a prayer of thanksgiving to them. He's going to start right off the bat dealing with the issues that they are facing. So I want you to notice with me verses 10 through 12, first of all, and notice what he says. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. But now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. So first of all, I want you to notice Paul's plea. Paul's plea with us here. First of all, Paul pleads with them with the authority of Jesus Christ. So, he, you know, he just entered into this time of thanksgiving, and so he wants to get their attention. And so, notice what he says. He starts off verse 10 by saying, I plead with you. So he's, he's wanting them to listen to him. He wants them to grasp what he's saying. And he wants them to grasp what he's saying because he's saying it with the authority of Jesus Christ. So now he's talking as an apostle to them. He's talking based upon what the authority that was given to him as a, as a leader in the church because he wants them to understand that what he's about to talk about is something very serious. So he starts out the letter with a, with a thanksgiving, and he's real thankful for them and everything, and he, you know, warm feelings going around, but then he just immediately launches into it and says, look, guys, I'm going to plead with you. I'm going to plead with you on the authority of Christ. You need to listen to me. There's some things going on, and you need to pay attention. So I want you to notice what the plea is. First of all, he's asking for two things. First of all, he appeals to them that they be united in their testimony. United in their testimony, look at verse 10, that you all speak the same things and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So here's what he's saying. He wants them to be united in their testimony. So I want you to notice there's a couple of components here in this verse that tell us what their testimony is. Their testimony was not just how they acted, What's the first thing he mentioned? That they be united in their what? Speech. It was not just their actions towards each other, but rather that they be united in how they speak towards each other. Okay? How they speak towards each other. And that there be no divisions among you and that you be perfectly joined together. So he's talking about their testimony really as a body of Christ, as a family. You understand? As a family, he wants them to be knit together. He wants them to be united, to have a united testimony before a community around them. So, for instance, how many of you can remember or even think of churches 
who maybe are fussing and feuding among themselves, what, does the, what, what kind of portrayal does that have in the community? Negative. Completely negative. In fact, when, they, when that kind of thing happens and they fuss and feud and the community has a negative effect, who does it ultimately reflect negatively on? Not just the church, but on who? Yeah, God, or on Christ. On Christ. And, and the reason why is because people say, well, you know, if that's the way they are, I don't want to have anything to do with that Jesus thing. Okay? Now, let me get back for a moment. So you think about that. They're fussing and feuding. Why is it important that they then be of one, you know, have the same speech? Let the testimony be a part of that. Why do you think that's important? To show unity? Okay, that's good. Because here's what happens. Let's say Tom and I are fussing and feuding with each other, and we've just caused a big ruckus in the church. We've got people who are taking our sides and everything. Here's what happens. It doesn't normally stay within a group of people, does it? Here's what will happen. Tom and I like to go to the same hardware store. So when Tom goes down to Gates's, he's down there and he says, you don't believe that rascal George. This is what he did at church the other day. Now, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? He's taking it out of the church and spreading it around where? In a community, a community of people who what? Yes, that's exactly right. What's that going to do to the people, the community, then, as far as their perception of the church or the perception of Christians? Yeah. Why would they want to have anything to do with it? See, see, this is my point. He's urging them, because here's what's going on. They're fussing and feuding in this church, and they're not just fussing and feuding. They're talking about it in their, in their community lives, rather than dealing with it right there in their own congregation. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you can see how it happens. If Tom's really ticked off at me with me, who's he, what's he going to be thinking about? Yeah, not just ruining my reputation. You're going to be thinking about me all the time. Or, you know, for instance, like, because we do go to the same hardware store. Tom, you know, he's walking up the street. He sees me coming out of Gates's. Then he walks in and says, what was that bum doing in here for? And the young guy behind the counter says, what bum? Well, you know, you know, you know, and he launches into it. You see my point. The problem is, is Paul's getting a greater perspective here, and he just launches right into it, and he says, look, he appeals to them that they be united in their testimony. See, you've got to think of something here. Here's the point I want you to see, and this is the issue, because we're going to look at divisions here. What happens is, is when you've got strife, when you have problems, your thoughts are only on who? Yourself. You've got to remove yourself from your emotions and your feelings. Listen to me. No matter how much the hurt is, and think beyond yourself to a greater whole. You understand what I'm saying? You've got to remove yourself from your feelings and your hurts and think beyond yourself to a greater whole. How is this going to affect the body? How is this going to affect people around me? Because listen, the testimony of people around you are not just the people within the body, but the people, what, 
outside the body. Outside the body. So, notice something now. He tells them not just that they be united in their testimony, but that they be united in harmony. And what does that mean there? He tells them to be united in their thinking. That they be centralized in their thinking. Listen, let me explain something to you. Church is a very, when I say church, a group of people gathering together, calling themselves a church, is a very delicate thing. You don't realize how delicate it is, but it is very delicate. Because here's what you got. When you've got these folks coming together, you have people who are coming together with different perspectives, different outlooks on life, different things all together, and they're trying to come together and harmonize, and they're trying to be united in their thinking, and the choice is, is what do we unite ourselves in our thinking about? And you say, what do you mean? So, for instance, give you an example. This is the political season. I have interacted enough with a lot of you folks to know that there are some of you who are going to vote for John McCain. I also know that there are some of you who are going to vote for Obama. Now, if our, if our unity as a church was based on the political, where would we be as a church? Wouldn't be anywhere. Okay. I've interacted enough with you guys. Some of you guys hunt. Some of you enjoy hunting. Some of you love the Game Commission's program that they're doing right now with your antler restrictions and, you know, the doe hunting and stuff. I also know that some of you don't like it. You wish things were the way they were before. And you don't agree with it. Now, let me ask you a question. Are we gonna, if that was the basis of our unity, what would happen in a church? You know, we'd have problems, wouldn't we? Yeah. I also know this. We have some folks in our church that are union-oriented. We have some folks in our church who are not union-oriented. If that was the basis of our unity, where would we be at? The reason for a church, the church is the body of who? Christ. The centrality of a church and why we come together is our unity in who? Jesus, everything else doesn't mean anything. See, that's the whole basis. So he wants them to begin to be harmonized in their thinking because here's what will happen. When you have a division, and let's say Tom and I are fussing and feuding, and what we're fussing and feuding about is Tom likes women with his eyes tea. I don't. So he's got all these folks who are happy about women in their eyes tea. And I think that's just pure blasphemy. Pure sacrilege to put that in iced tea. Why would you do that? Contaminate that with that citrus. So, you know, so what happens is the unity of thinking in a church, listen to me, can disappear because we begin to focus on issues that are not relevant. Now, they may be relevant. But, you know, I'm not saying that divisions are not relevant. But we make the issues of the division become more central than Jesus Christ. You see my point? We make the issues more central than Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying to them. He is pleading with them, number one, to be united in their testimony, not just within the church, but within the community around them, but they also be united and they're harmonized in their thinking, how they think. Now, he gets right into it and he says, here's why you guys got problems. He gets right to the source of the divisions. Look with me at verse 11. And notice what he says. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, 
that there are contentions among you. So here's the point. Number one, he first of all says this. He received a report from the household of Chloe. So probably, I, have to, I want you to understand something. In Paul's day, they didn't have buildings like this. All right? They more than likely met in the homes, and it would be big homes, so that means that the people that they were meeting in the household of probably had some means or had some affluence or whatever, but they would have, they would gather as a church in someone's home, and one of these households that they met in was the household of an individual by the name of Chloe. And Chloe sends a, sends a message to Paul wherever he's at and says, Paul, there's trouble. There's problems back home at the church. You won't believe what's going on. So he receives a report that there are some problems going on. And here's what the report is. He hears that the Corinthian church has fragmented with quarrels. He hears that the Corinthian church has fragmented. They have been blown apart by arguments. By, and really what we're going to see here is it's pretty silly what they're blown apart by. And so let me just make a point here. The most insignificant thing can blow a church apart. The most insignificant thing can blow a church apart. Insignificant issues can destroy a church. And so when he's getting this report from Chloe, the household of Chloe, he's hearing from them that the church has fragmented. There are contentions there among them. So then I want you to notice what the contentions are, what the, the factions are, what's going on here. So look with me at verse 12. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, which is also, you know him as Peter, or I'm of Christ. So here's what I want you to see. Paul identifies various groups in the church. So right off the bat, Paul in his letter says, look, here's what's going on, guys. You've got these various groups that are existing within your church, and these groups identify themselves based on these 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 individuals that they surround themselves with. Now, so let me ask you a question. Why do you think groups formed around church leadership? Because each one of these folks, except for Christ, was a leader in this church. Why do you think they formed themselves around leadership? Okay, people were following men rather than Christ. Although there was one group that was really super spiritual, and they said, well, we follow Jesus. All right? That's good, Marilyn. Anybody else? Why do you think they're, they're centered around leadership? Do you think that happens today? Why do you think that happens today? That doesn't just happen in the church. Think about our culture. What is our culture oriented to here in, our, in, our, in, our, in America? Not North America, but America. We gravitate towards what? Leaders. We lift up our leaders. We gravitate towards what? Strong leaders. You understand? We gravitate towards strong leaders. That's just our tendency. 
Okay? Now it's changing. It's changing. It's changing, but we do have that tendency. But what's going on here is, is that they're gravitating to certain leaders. Now I want you to notice what he's identifying here. There was a group that identified themselves as being with Paul. Now those are probably the people who were in the church when Paul, Paul first started the church. Maybe were led to Christ by his church. And they said, well, you know, Paul's our spiritual father. We also know that there was a, a man who came after Paul who was a man by the name of Apollos who was very eloquent in his speaking, in his teaching. And he was probably a better speaker than Paul. So you got some folks who say, well, you know, yeah, Paul, but man, I really love Apollos, man. I could really just resonate with what he's saying. He just reached me right there with a word, and I just love Apollos. He's the best guy. Then, of course, then there's Peter, okay, he comes by. He's, you know, one of the twelve. And then you've got people, probably the Judaizers, people who are following the law, who say, well, we're of Cephas. We're of the apostle from Jerusalem. Then you had a real spiritual group that says, well, you know, you guys are all wrong. We're following Jesus. And so you've got all those groups there. They're all fragmented into those groups. So, Here's what I want you to notice now. Here's Paul's response. Look at verses 13 through 17. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize none of you except Christmas and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So here's what we're going to spend the rest of our time, is looking at Paul's response to this issue of divisions. And here's what he's going to do. As he's responding to them about this issue of divisions, He's going to get to the heart of the matter with him about why they are fragmented. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Churches just don't blow apart because of nothing. The, the issue may be insignificant, but at the heart of the issue are always what? Individuals. And at the heart of the issue with individuals, it's maybe one or two, and then people take sides. People take sides. So what you're looking at is you're looking at four different groups here, and the people that are mentioned, they don't have a problem with each other. Paul doesn't have a problem with Apollos. Apollos doesn't have a problem with Paul or Cephas. They don't have a problem with them. But probably what's going on there is that there are some ringleaders of these groups. There are some people who are the spokesmen, the advocates of this group, and they have a problem with somebody else from another group. And what happens is, is then that there are people who are saying, well, you know, I like Billy Bob. I don't you know. I know that Jim over here is not doing right with Billy Bob, and we're going to follow Billy Bob. And that's what happens. And it, and it could be for any reason. It could be simply because Billy Bob said hi to you every week, and you're, you're like, oh, I really like Billy Bob, so I, you know, whatever he says, I agree with. And it could be the most insignificant thing, but it's always about leaders of these groups. Because what happens is, and this is what happens when you have divisions, they go back to what Paul said. He wants them to be united in their thinking. They get their focus off what's most important, which is what? The body and Jesus. And put their thinking on what? 
what they feel needs to happen. Their selves. That's right, Nathan. Their selves. So I want you to notice that. Here's his plea. Here's his thing. Paul asked them if Christ is divided. He's going to get right to the issue here. He's going to say, guys, you know, you're fragmented. I hear that you guys are focused on on leaders in the church, and, and that's causing divisions and strife and contentions among you. Let me just ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ divided? Is his arm over here, and this arm over here, and his leg over here? Because, I mean, it's a picture of a body. Is he divided? The issue is no. Here's the spiritual principle you need to grasp here. Even though Tom and I are fussed of Newton, ultimately the impetus on us is we need to get it right because in eternity, we're going to be together forever. Because we're the bride of Christ, we're going to be united together forever. So I better deal with it now, right? Or have Jesus deal with it later. And believe me, he will deal with it. He will settle the issue. And it won't be, well, yeah, he'll plead my cause. No, he'll show me where I'm wrong, and he'll show where everybody's wrong, and he'll show where he's right. Jesus is right. You understand? So his whole point here is, is he's saying, is Christ divided? And so he's saying, no, he isn't. So here's what he's saying. The universal body of Christ is not divided, neither should its local expression be. I'll explain what I'm talking about here in a moment. The universal body of Christ is not divided, neither should its local expression be. So here's what I'm talking about. Here's the difference between a local church and a universal church. The universal church, the universal body of Christ, is every believer in the world. We are all part of the body of Christ. So that means you and I are united with the believers in Vietnam, the believers in China, believers in Haiti, believers in South America. Believers right here in our own community, we're all part of one universal body of Christ, the universal church, period. And that universal church has its expression in local bodies. You understand? The local body represents the greater whole. You understand what I'm saying? The local body represents a greater whole. So the representation of that universal body and the unity that is there needs to be expressed in the local body, so therefore the local body has a responsibility to be what? Unified. To show unity among themselves, because that is the picture of what the, of the universal body. Do you understand? So here's what I'm saying. You belong to the universal body of Christ, which is all Christians, all believers who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, and it is represented in your membership or your being a part of what? The local body. The local body. So that's what he's saying here. Christ is not divided, and so he wants to make that point. So then he raises a second question for them. And here's what he says. He asked them if he was crucified for them. Now he's probably specifically dealing with this group that says, well, I'm a Paul. And so here's what he's going to do. He's going to say, guys, did I die for you? Ultimately, the question goes on a little bit further. Did Apollos die for you? Did Cephas die for you? No. Who died for you? Jesus did. See, here's the thing. 
when you're looking at that leader in that group that you're you're gravitating towards in the midst of contention, you've got to take a step back. This is what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to get them to take a step back. And the first thing he wants them to say is, okay, wait a minute now. Remember what you're a part of. You are part of a local expression of a universal principle that all believers are united in the body of Christ. Then number two, I want you to recognize something. That person that you're taking sides for, that you're gravitating to, did they die for you? Did they give you salvation? Now, maybe they helped you, but that's not the point that Paul's making here. Did they ultimately give you your spiritual reality? No. See, here's the Apostle Paul. If anyone could say that he had a spiritual reality in their life, he could because he's the one who started the church. But even he's saying, guys, get a grip. I'm not the one. Did I die for you? No. So he's trying to get them to take a step back. You've got to take a step back from arguments, don't you? You've got to take a time out and, and, and get your thinking back because your emotions can take over and blow things so completely out of proportion. And you've got to take a step back. And, and, and here's what he's doing. He's trying to get them to grasp some truth. Number one truth, you're part of a greater whole and you need to reflect that greater whole. Number two, Jesus is the one who died for you. I didn't. That leader didn't. Jesus is the one who died for you. So then he goes on there and he says, Here's the point he's making. No man or leader won salvation for the Corinthians except Jesus Christ. Nobody did anything for them except Jesus Christ. Well, you say, well, didn't he? Isn't he the one who shared with them? Shouldn't he at least take some take some responsibility and 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 take some credit for the fact that he's the one who shared the gospel with him? Doesn't that give him any credibility with him? No. Paul's saying, look, he could have used anybody. See, here's the thing. The issue in your salvation is not the person who led you to Christ. Not the person who shared Christ with you. But the one who saved you. You see my point? It's not the person who did it. Because here's what we'll do. We'll we'll lift up the people that shared it. In our minds, they are wonderful people. And they are. Praise the Lord that they did it. But you can't elevate them above Jesus. Because he could have brought somebody else by. You understand my point? And listen, if you know yourself, chances are they were scared to death if they weren't a family member to share with you in the first place. They probably were not looking forward to doing it in the first place anyhow. Because that's how you are, isn't it? And we're all human. The focus is on the one who saved you, not on any leader or any man. Paul said, no man or leader won salvation for you except who? Jesus. And here's the guy who started the church saying that. So he goes on now, and he raises a third question. And here's what he did. He asked them if they were baptized in his name. Paul asked them if they were baptized in his name. Again, here's baptism. Let me explain to you what baptism is. Baptism is a an ordinance, a ceremony, in which someone is baptized in water. And that signifies a couple of things. Number one, they are identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life, so they're 
they're professing what has already taken place within their heart through salvation. But baptism is also an identification where you are identifying yourself with who? Not just Christ, but the group of believers, the universal body of Christ, that local church expression, you're identifying yourself with the church when you become baptized. When you become baptized. And so here's what he's saying, guys. Did I baptize you in my name? Were you identifying yourself with me? See what he's saying? Were you identifying yourself with Apollos? Did Apollos baptize you in his name? Did Cephas baptize you in his name? No, they baptized, every one of them baptized what? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Trinity. The Godhead. The identity is with God, not with the leader. So he's making that point. So then, here's the point. He's talking about the issue of allegiance here. Their allegiance was owed to no man except who? Jesus Christ. Let me stop for a moment. This is so important for you to grasp this whole point. Your allegiance as a believer is not to any man except God. It's not to any man except one. Who's the one? Jesus. Not to any man. Well, I like so-and-so on the radio. Wonderful. Be blessed by his ministry. But you don't owe him allegiance. Well, I like Pastor George. Wonderful. Appreciate it. But you don't owe me allegiance. Your allegiance is owed to only one person. The God. Jesus. The only God. And we've got to get ourselves. Your allegiance, as far as you, is not owed to any person in this church, no matter what they've done to you, or for you, or done at you. Your allegiance is to one person only. Who? Jesus. That's the point he's making here. That's the whole issue of the question of, of baptism. Is Did I baptize you so you could identify yourself with me? No. No. In fact, now notice what Paul's talking about here, because notice this brings me right to the next question then, the issue of Paul baptizing. Look with me at verse 14 and 16. Notice what he says there. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. See, this is exactly what Paul's talking about. He did not want anyone gaining any accolades by saying, well, you know, you may be following Apollos, but I was personally baptized by Paul. You see how that would feed pride and ego? So here's the point. Paul stated that he was thankful that he only baptized two among them. He was just thankful that he had only baptized two of them. Two. Next thing I want you to see. Paul did not want them to attach some spiritual significance to being baptized by him. And this is what people will do. Listen, people, you know what, one of the big things, if you were to go on a tour of the Holy Land, if you were to go to Israel, listen to me, this happens. And I just had a discussion with some pastors about this. If you were to go and you were to pay to go on a tour to the Holy Land, 
the chances are that part of the tour will take you to the Jordan River, and the place they take you to the Jordan River provides an opportunity for you to be baptized, because they'll provide the robes for an extra cost, for you to be baptized in the Jordan by the pastors who are in the group. Now, there's a problem with that. What's the problem with that? Anybody? Now, they're attaching some spiritual significance to what? Being baptized in the Jordan. Did that mean their baptism before meant nothing? You see my point? Because here's what I'm doing. When I get baptized, what am I? Identifying myself with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, what took place in my salvation. I'm also identifying myself with the local body that I'm a part of. And so I go over to Jordan, to the Jordan River, and I get baptized there. I'm attaching some significance to it, so I can come back and say, hey, boys, you know what? Man, I had a wonderful time in the Holy Land. God's all those terrorists, but man, I got baptized, man. Ooh, George got baptized. Isn't that what we do? Who's that feeding into? Christ. Christ. So now Bruce wants to go to the Holy Land. Here's what I want you to see. Paul does remember baptizing Stephanus' household. And finally, verse 17, and this is what we're going to close with, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not for the, with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Here's what he's saying. First of all, his ministry. Paul was to proclaim the gospel, not to baptize. He's saying, listen, guys, you know what? You're so focused on me baptizing. That was not even why I was there. I wasn't there just to be baptizing people. I was there to what? Proclaim the gospel. And then finally, Paul did not proclaim the gospel with clever speech. He didn't even use eloquent speech. It wasn't an issue with him. He wasn't interested in, in having the right hermeneutical, homiletical techniques down to be able to, those are theological terms expressing the issue of preaching. He didn't want to have the best clever preaching there was. He wanted to just proclaim Christ, which is the final thing I want you to see there. It says this, In doing so, he would make the cross of Christ meaningless. See, if he was getting in there, showing off, and, and, and prancing, you know, and, and, and just eloquent speech and everything, and he's an eloquent orator, Basically, people would be gravitated to who because of what? They would be gravitated to him because of his what? His speaking. And what would be meaningless then? The message. Because the focus wouldn't be on the message. The focus would be on who? Paul. All right. Next week, we're going to look at lesson four, and we're going to look at the folly of God. So he's going to keep going right and hammering them with this whole issue concerning their smartness and their thinking as far as leading to divisions here, and he's going to talk about the folly of God next week as we get into the last part of chapter 1 and into the first part of chapter 2. Let's